It's the it's slam. The Creative writings once a year. Solstice slam. This is your chance to make your voice heard. Get your story out there to the tens of people that listen to the show worldwide. This is your chance to take over the microphone. Blow ears, blow minds, blow chokes. And now it's time to sit back with the cold one. Pop off those kicks. Change out of those dirty underwear. And listen to the musings of fellow riders, bringing the community closer, or crapping on their friends' dreams. This is Solstice Land. You're listening to the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. Pop a beer and throw an earbud in your ear. Now. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but I've seen them go on to be an asshole. My skin met the asphalt, but these new new ways kit my... All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever they do with cocaine. The victim. I mean, guess. It's usually such a horribly set up life, but they like how it looks. It's a cafe racer with alloy makes, racing tank and clip-ons and all that jazz. The Soma actually was purchased by uh, the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. Yeah. You know, after this interview, I sound like a fat, hairy, bearded slob. Um, so I'm familiar with the long hours and the uncomfortable seat. Kangaroos are just leaping down the street every day. Um, all right, technically all chaps are assholes, right? Or else yeah. you just Tec- do love the pants. I don't have it perfected. I have to stop talking shit. The more I talk it, the more my bike messes up. My wife's like, you're 41 and started a race career. I'm like, yeah, and it's amazing. Yeah. Yes, I am guest number 632 on Creative Writing Podcast. And I have been programmed to uh, answer all questions perfectly. As big as motorcycle industry is, very few people have actually ever even laid eyeballs on a confederate, on an actual confederate in the flesh. Even fewer have ridden them. Did you get to do that, Dave? Did you? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. He's actually in a movie. I thought it was a good book. I, I didn't want to put it down. I wanted to know what happened next, but it was not my typical genre. All right, well, now you know what you're, know what you're in, in for. for. I do this show, show with no, no clothes, clothes on. on. right no clothes on not for solstice slam baby welcome to the second annual solstice slam your chance to do whatever you want with the show send in some crummy artwork make a rad song write a story you know record yourself i'm gonna read a couple of stories i've also got with me uh a special friend of the show chris Chris Watkins here to read some stories tonight, and uh, we couldn't get Steven Seagal, oddly enough. I mean, I, I offered up a hot dog and a uh, donut, and the guy didn't want to show up for that. But uh, Keanu Reeves and Brad Pitt may make a stop by later, so we'll see if they actually end up showing up. All right, folks, I'm as excited as you are, and if you're not excited, well then, you wouldn't know excitement if it landed on your face. Full throttle! <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the show. 
I have a few things to read here, and uh, I really do want to promote some things that are that are going to be happening. Uh, one deal here is that I would like to thank Dan Michael from Daily Bikers, and we mentioned Dan almost every single show. Uh, Dan, unbeknownst to him, some of his prize packs, or you know, some of the, his creations, are going to go out as as part of our prize pack, and also unbeknownst to Dan. Uh, he's going to be a judge. He's going to judge one of these, uh, you know, help pick out Dan. I hope you're listening. I forgot to tell you that part. So at any rate, yeah, if you love the stuff that I, that I, uh, point you to, you know, I was talking about Dan's artwork, all the cool stuff that he's creating, whether it be, you know, stickers for your car, for your bike, notepads, coloring books, that all motorcycle stuff, gift wrap, pillows, artwork for your house, for your loft, for your garage. And uh, man, the guy is 100% motorcyclist. He rides motorcycle every single day. Not because he wants to, because he has to. He recently started job as a moto postie over, you know, in the land of the kangaroo. I don't know what the official name of Australia is, probably like the land of the eternal sun or something, or the land of the uh, beautiful actress. But uh, the land of the moto postie, the jumping kangaroo and all that great stuff that I'm going to call it, because he now rides a motorcycle every single day, uh, delivering mail to or post to the Australian public. And for that, Dan... A little tip of the hat. Thank you, sir, for not only being an awesome motorcyclist, uh, riding, you know, uh, going nuts on those little uh, Honda posties. I think they're Hondas that you uh, tweeted. And uh, also owning some pretty ripping bikes, but being a great, one of the best interviews you've had on the show, and making a prize pack. And like I said, unbeknownst to you, helping to judge with this uh, Solstice Slam. So thank you so much to Dan from daily bikers and um i might at the end of the show pop off some stuff i'm really excited uh, about some events that are coming up still so if we have some time we'll do that but i really want to get into the meat and potatoes of all this uh i almost just fell down into my recording stuff so if you uh decide to take up your own podcast one day don't fall into your recording equipment you'll kick yourself for that later all right so let's start off the first uh, first submission. Let's get right into it. This gentleman sent in three. We're going to start off with this first one. This is from Aaron Shu. Back in 2010, I bought my first motorcycle. It was a 03 Harley V-Rod. I only had my motorcycle temps at the time. It was Memorial Weekend. I had just gotten home from my family's cottage a hundred miles north of my house. The cottage is in the Wisconsin Northwoods, down a very windy blacktop road through the National Forest. It was a beautiful day, so I decided to jump back on the bike and cruise around the local country roads in the town I lived in. While cruising down, one of those country roads turned. I stayed looking around, watching tractors out in the field and hawks flying and swooping down at mice. At some point, what I can only assume was a hawk flew down directly in front of me and went towards the ditch. It scared the crap out of me. Since I never saw it coming, when it did go in front of me, I slammed on my brakes, not knowing what it was. When I did that, I locked up the front tire, which in turn pushed the bike toward the ditch. Being a rookie, with only about a thousand miles of riding under my belt, I panicked and didn't release the brakes very quickly. 
By the time I did let go of the front brake, I was already on the gravel shoulder of the road. I tried easing the bike back on the blacktop, but the rear tire caught a washout in the gravel, spinning the bike sideways and me high-siding at roughly 40 miles an hour. Luckily, it was a wet week and the ditch was soft. I rolled through that sideways, seeing ground, then sky, then ground again at a rate fast enough to make astronauts vomit. Eventually, I stopped and shielded myself, thinking the bike was going to be right behind me. Luckily, the bike slid further down into the ditch and sat at rest on its side 10 feet from me. I ended up with a sprained knee and some skin peeled back on my face from the helmet pushing back. The bike suffered about $7,500 in damage and somehow was not totaled. I found myself very fortunate after that one. 50 feet further and I would have rolled into a big culvert. All right, strong opener. Thank you for the read, celebrity guest Kathleen Turner. Very good. Thank you, Aaron, for this submission. You know, I did that myself uh, a couple years ago, last year maybe, and I'm sure I talked about it on the show. It took all of like 10 seconds. I probably talked about it for 45 minutes. But um, yeah, I took my eyes off the road to look up the hill going up a switchback. And uh, when I looked back, I was already in the turn and I was jumping 16 feet down a ravine. Uh, Luckily, I did a wheelie and... uh, Okay, this tail is getting very big. Let's let's get on to the next submission. This one is uh, going to be by the a man who's in the Munich airport while he's doing this. He specifically asked me to put some music behind it. So I have a song that I made years ago. Uh, gosh, years ago. I never, never released it out to anywhere. Just found it on an old file the other day. So I'm going to roll that behind this one. This is for our man, Paul. Paul's next. So I have a few minutes here. So I thought I'd give some feedback to the last show. Not really feedback, but just some uh, some responses I have to some of the things he brought up. The first thing is has to do with the artist. I couldn't think of a female artist. Uh, so guilty is charged on that. Um, but uh, my favorite artist is... Ralph Steadman, I really like him. He's the one that illustrated a lot of the stuff for Hunter S. Thompson's books. And um, uh, his stuff I read, I'd been writing for a few years as a kid, but I I read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and then Hell's Angels. Um, And those were were pretty influential to me. And and, uh, Steadman had a bunch of his illustrations in the book and on the cover. And uh, they're just kind of, they're like random abstract cartoon drawings that kind of very interesting style and he's still uh, providing some illustrations for um, for different magazines but um, I thought it was he was very uh, 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 he went well with uh, with Thompson's uh, writing I thought and because of Hell's Angels or not Hell's Angels because of uh, Fear and Loth Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas that got me into the Vincent Black Shadow. That's that's like my my favorite old school bike now. Maybe besides an Indian, only because I was born in Springfield. But uh, besides that, and the the Vincent Black Shadow, because he he would just go on and on about that bike in that book. That was the bike he was gonna 
ride in the, the mint 400 or whatever the race was that that was the focal point around that book but I thought that was it was really funny and the next thing that we talked about uh, that you talked about in the show the next thing I, I remember was uh, women motorcyclists no, the one I know is my wife uh, although not a street rider she got into dirt bikes so that we could take trips as a family uh, the kids have bikes and she has a KLX 140 now and she loves it she's a student of everything that she does though so it's always about her perfecting the craft whenever we go out for a ride she, you can always see her like concentrating on, sh- on shifting and smooth shifting and, and applying the brakes and smooth throttle and it's really neat to watch her riding and way she picks up on all the little nuances of it. Trying to convince her to maybe get into dual sport and maybe get a a small on off-road bike. I'm not sure if she's totally into it. She used to ride mopeds on the street back in the day but it's been a while and you know it's a different environment now but it wouldn't be for really commuting around or anything. It would really just be for the, the dual sport types of rides that we do but not for any kind of heavy street use. And then the next thing was, uh, you mentioned famous racers who went at the Long Beach Bike Show a couple of years ago. Jason Britton was there, the stunt rider. And uh, he was signing autographs and he and, uh, he and his buddy were doing a show out uh, outside. It was kind of neat. We got his autograph afterwards and my wife got uh, picture taken with him and she was all psyched because he does his stunts on a Kawasaki and, and she's got a Kawasaki so she thought that was just the greatest thing in the world that, um, that convincing him that, uh, that she was riding around and uh, supporting Team Green and the other, the other um, racer that I met again was just at an autograph signing thing but way back in the day maybe a few years after I moved to San Diego I met uh, Jeremy McGrath. This was back in the 1-800 Collect days. And he had just switched over to riding for Chaparral, so he was up in San Bernardino signing autographs. It was maybe just his first year or two riding Yamaha after riding Honda for all those years. But that was kind of neat to meet him. Okay, and somewhere in the show you talked about Biltwell again. That, that place is, is neat, but it is, I mean, those guys are hardcore. Um, when I was there, and the, the guys who go there and hang there, the, the choppers are, are impressive units. They're um, garage, homegrown garage, welded. I mean, they, these guys obviously put them together themselves. They, they're just a, a mashup of parts and just real old-school chopper tech. I mean, it was really, really cool to see, but it wasn't just Harleys. There, there were some, some sportsters and that made up the choppers, but there were some metric cruisers too, and it was just seemed like anything they could get their hands on. A lot of hand shifters. That, that was kind of neat to see too, the suicide clutch and the hand shifters and just real old-school stuff. But when we were at that show, man, watching those guys throw those, you know, big baggers around and wheelies and, and just smoking up the rear wheels. It was pretty impressive to, to see those guys doing it. And, and the wheelies, they were pulling like, like 12 o'clock high. And 
they were impressive, impressive uh, riders up there. But the choppers were something else to see too. Just rebar is welded into a sissy bar and, and uh, uh, wrenches bent and, and welded to the shifter, shifter mechanism and, and sprockets cut in half to make the, the floorboards just really old school stuff and the last note I have has to do with the, the book that you were reading the black coats I'm going to pick that up and give it a read but you were talking about how you didn't want to give away the, the ending or you know give too much of a synopsis it reminded me of the first time I watched the movie Dusk to Dawn this must have been back in the 90s sometime and I had no idea what that movie was about I was over at a, a friend's and he just threw the, the DVD in and started watching it and it looked like a typical gangster type movie and, and then they crashed at this bar and, and again I had no idea what type of movie this was and all of a sudden the everybody just started turning into vampires and it just I had absolutely no idea that was going to happen it, it was just so funny just to have something come out of left field like that so it, it just reminded me of that but I'm going to pick up that book and, and give it a read The Black Goats uh, but um, along that same vine the the Hell's Angels book by Hunter Thompson I'll circle back around to that that was a, a real good read too kind of you know sympathetic to, to their plight and, and kind of sided with them quite a bit more so than a lot of the other books and stories that are written about them but definitely worth the read so that's all I got for this contribution to Solstice Slam 2 uh, on my way home uh, get on the plane in a in about two or three hours, I'll be home about uh, 10 or 11 hours after that. Got my bike parked in the garage at LAX, and it's going to be about 70 degrees or so, I think, when I get home. It's going to be a perfect day for a ride home. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be good, good to be home and good to get back in the saddle. Talk to you soon. All right, that was Bry Viffer, a.k.a. Paul, coming to us from the Munich airport. And, you know, you don't want a bunch of German TSA agents looking around at you all crazy while you're trying to do something cool like tell your crazy stories for the Solstice Slam now, do you? If you guys remember his last uh, last year's Solstice Slam, he rattled off the uh, five VFRs that he owns, I believe, and the VMAX and a couple dirt bikes. So quite a rider and uh, quite a stable of bikes. Thanks, Bri. Um, legendary field producer now and uh, all that great stuff. So Thank you for sub- supporting the show, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I hope you got back to LAX, and uh, you know I hope your bike was still there. I'm sure you've written to me since, so uh, I'm assuming that it was. All right, well, let's jump to uh, back to the WIR's top 10 list. This is from another rider there, and uh, not Aaron Shue, but we'll get back to Aaron in a second. got to wait your turn, buddy. you got to go back to the end of the line now that you've got three to submit. And uh, this is another clown from that list. And let's hear it from this boy. Hello, Creative Riding. Uh, field reporter and WIR's current number three spot holder, Nitrous Chris. 
uh, checking in here for the Solstice Slam. Thought I'd uh, talk on a topic of uh, motorcycle burnouts for a little bit. And uh, I don't actually mean burnouts as in smoking tires, but more so just being burnt out on motorcycles or burnt out on racing. Uh, I've been racing motorcycles for almost 22 years or so and met some awesome people every year. You, you, you make new friends every race you make new friends all across the country every track it doesn't matter everybody's got that same interest that same passion and uh, it's just a great community to be a part of but the the one downside that I notice more and more is the amount of people that come and go and you go from seeing that passion and drive with them to that I think he bit into a taco right here uh, just lack of enthusiasm because they just they don't want to do it anymore or they just they get busy with work or kids or they get married or just something happens in their life where they feel that if they can't be all in to drag racing that they need to sell their bikes or their projects or things they were working on things that they were once very passionate about and uh, I I've never been in that situation to where I've had to sell a motorcycle. I've been burnt out and beat up and just tired of racing and traveling and riding or, or just constant maintenance and working on them where I just, I don't want to do it anymore and I, I take a step back. But I don't know why people feel the need to just get out completely like racing or motorcycling in general is an on-off switch that they are they're completely in and gung-ho or the minute that they they slow down and they can't do it as much as they used to they feel that by selling the bike or selling everything that they use for racing will gain them you know all that that time and money lost back or it'll it'll help uh, advance or advance or move their life forward in some fashion. Uh, it's it's such a small part financially of a lot of people's lives, but it's the first thing that seems to go when uh, when things change. And I just I like to try to talk people out of doing that, of just just giving up and saying that it's it's off time now i don't want to race i don't want to ride anymore so i need to just you know clean house and get rid of everything and realistically it's one of the smallest things you'll ever own in your life a motorcycle you can stick it under a cover and put it in the corner and it's uh, out of sight out of mind when they're sitting they don't require a whole lot of money or maintenance so why take that part of your life that can bring so much happiness and just dispose of it uh, if you if you if you don't have the time to race or ride like you want to just take the bike and put it in a corner uh, if you ever get a free weekend whether it's you know once a month or once a year you have it it's it'll always be there uh, you can do what you want with it um, I know some people sell the stuff because they, they feel like they want to, you know, pay bills off or, or whatever, but I've never owned a motorcycle that if I was to sell it, that 
the cash I would get for it would be enough to change my life miraculously financially in one direction or another. So I've always kind of steered away from the thought of, you know, well, maybe I should look at selling this or selling that. I've sold bikes in the past, yes, but nothing that was like a project or something I had a bunch of time and money or, or was passionate about. Uh, the, the the project stuff is something you, you want to keep. And if you, I could, like, talk anybody into not getting rid of projects, uh, it, it's, it's worth every ounce of effort spent to talk them out of that. So I think if if this gets through to anybody, if I'm making any sense here in my rambling, is basically just uh, if you're feeling burnt out on motorcycling and you don't want to do it, just park it and do something else for a while. Don't sell it. Uh, it's it's literally like everybody says it's it's two wheel therapy. It's a project. It's a hobby. Uh, you don't have to do it every day. Every weekend every week or month or whatever just uh keep it and do it when you got some free time uh, i'm actually i just got done with work and i'm out at my shop right now i'm gonna put another probably four or five hours out here working away getting ready for race season and uh i'm already know that tomorrow is gonna be an off day where i'm i've put a lot of hours in this winter working on my bike and uh i schedule it out so that I don't get burnt out working on it so I'll get some progress done tonight and then I won't come out for another you know two three days maybe where I can go on with other parts of my life that I enjoy but uh, don't go whole hog where it has to be 100% in or 100% out it can uh, it can all be done in moderation so if I just saved a couple motorcycle lives with my little rant here uh, it was worth it so uh, thanks to uh, Creative Riding for uh, giving us all a place to talk and enjoy motorcycles together, and we'll uh, talk to you later. Hey, man. That was beautiful. Thank you, Nitrous Chris. So I just learned something. I, I deduce from Chris's uh, little rant, as he says. By the way, perfect rant, man. That's what they're all about. That's what the show's all about crappy rants and uh, I do them all the time that was perfect man that was totally perfect second thing I'm deducing here is that Chris is, must be right around the same age as me I turned uh, 173 this year I have uh, most of my original teeth some of my original organs um, at least a pint of my original blood maybe and uh, he's also had some really sage advice so that tells me he's a wise old man and he also is a hoarder. That also tells me he's an old man. The fact that he doesn't want to throw away anything and he makes beautiful little art pieces in his garage. Yeah, he's 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 a grandpa for sure. So, yeah. No, thank you, Chris, so much for sending that in. And, uh, yeah, thank you for being a part of the show. And, uh, yeah, of course, this show is anytime you want to blab something out, you just let old creative writing know. We'll get you hooked up. All right, here comes story number two from Mr. Aaron Shue. And uh, by the way, before I go on, I wanted to let you hear a little music. There's a reason behind this now. I want to play you a little ditty before we go into Aaron's second submission. I want to see what you think. 
Are you liking it so far? You liking this little jam? This little jam was made, and, you know, granted, it, it is on gain. You know, that's a heavy gain, uh, classic-style tube amp right there, uh, with a lot of distortion on it on purpose. But that is a three-string cigar box guitar that I made. Uh, made out of, well, it's not a cigar box guitar. It's a some Japanese light product that I got uh, from a friend a long time ago. Made out of cardboard, actually. Cardboard box. And I saw this from a designer on on the internet who had made some cigar box guitars out of cardboard. I want to see how it would work. I made it. The thing resonates like crazy. I think it resonates better than a cigar box. And uh, it's got some big, fat guitar boomers. If you're into guitar and you know what boomers are, it's got some fatter boomers on there. That's why it sounds kind of deep and... I'm playing it with the metal slide made out of a piece of handlebar from a motorcycle. So, that's where it's getting that like metallic slide sound from. So, but, anyways, yeah, so I'm considering giving this away as part of the prize package for Solstice Slam. I made this song up especially for Solstice Slam so that you could hear the guitar. Uh, and granted, it is. I'll, I'll make another song up uh, later that has it on a clean, so you can, and with maybe not a metal slide on metal strings, so you can see just how nice and smooth it sounds. But it's an interesting little piece, and uh, made out of a crazy uh, Japanese box from a lamp or something light. It was a weird astro light set. Yeah, that's my little John Spencer blues explosion sort of uh, impersonation there. But yeah, anyway, let me know what you think, man. You could win this thing if your submission is the best. Well, now. All right, now it's time to get to Aaron's shoe and that beautiful, beautiful southern deep bass voice of his. In 2014, I had a 2010 Yamaha R6. I was on my way to work around 5 a.m. on a damp morning. On my route to work, there's a 90-degree turn at the top of a steep hill. I've taken that turn 100 times already with that bike at 25 to 30 miles an hour with no issues. But because of the dampness that morning, I was taking it slow. I was going around 15 to 20 miles an hour around that bend, and halfway through, both tires gave out simultaneously. Next thing I know, I'm still perched on the bike, but I'm sliding sideways toward the opposite curb. I was able to kick the bike off me and somehow get on my feet while sliding. Once I got on my feet, I started backpedaling, almost like a baseball player sliding to home base and getting up, continuing forward with one continuous motion. While backpedaling, I tripped and fell backwards, landing on my backpack with my lunch in it. Once my backpack hit, it spun my body, making my elbow hit the road. I was wearing my leather jacket with elbow pads, and when all this ended, I got back up. I saw the bike laying on its side, still running six inches from the curb. I picked the bike up, looked at the damage, and then looked to see what I had for injuries to determine if I could continue to work or go back home to clean up. And now, I had a hole in my jeans in the right knee from the leg dragging on the ground with the bike on it. I had a deep road rash the size of a half dollar there 
I noticed my elbow felt like I hit the funny bone, you know? It wasn't so funny. I decided to go home, clean up, and make my journey back to work. I fired the bike back up and drove the five miles back to my house. While riding home, my elbow started hurting more and more. By the time I got home, I could barely squeeze the clutch, you know? At that point, I knew I was going to be driving to the hospital. And after calling work and family to let them know what happened, I jumped in my truck and went to the ER for x-rays. Turns out, I broke my late radius in my left arm in the joint. I broke the ball portion of that bone right in half. And to this day, I still can't extend that arm all the way out. No. The R6 damage wasn't extensive. About 400 bucks and I had it fixed in my garage by myself before my elbow healed. I was back riding in three months. Man, if that didn't sound just a little bit like uh, Christopher Walken. Southern Walken. <laughs> Southern Walken. Sounds like a bad AMC or USA movie. Yes, hey, thank you, Aaron. You busted an arm at 15 miles an hour. That's what I hate about motorcycle riding. At any rate, be careful out there, you know what I'm saying? So, Aaron, thank you for sending that in. He also sent us some pictures of his... Uh, there's this V-Rod. It's the old, you know, like the first style, sort of. And a regular V-Rod, not a muscle, not a night rod, not a street rod. Also pictures here of his R6. Nice looking Kawasaki R6, for those of you in the know. For those of you who don't know, Kawasaki doesn't make the R6. I arbitrarily decided that Solstice Slam should be a time for us to play tricks on our friends and take those in the know and feed them all the fake news that we can possibly. All right, right now I want to run through our emails really quick because we have some important ones. And this is a, a, you know, a time for me to reach out to some other podcasts and thank them. Like the Isle of Man, Cycle Gear, Bike Bandit. No, 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 no. Be okay. No, 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 no. Harbor Freight. Huge. Oh, God. Harbor Freight's always got some huge sale going on, right? Okay, here we go. Ted from Motorcycle Men and Richard from the Throttled Podcast. I want to say thanks to both of those guys. We just, you know, we correspond once in a while with other podcasts, and uh, Ted has really nice stuff to say. And Richard, I really like talking to Richard about stuff. I feel like I can uh, voice my opinion to him, and he'll take it and process it and uh, give it back to me you know, in a, in a timely manner and, and in a very reasonable way. But one of the people I want to thank most is um, Liza from the Recycled Garage up in Santa Cruz. She has contacted me a few times to collaborate on some stories uh, in the past couple of weeks. And even we may or may not end up going down uh, the path for some of these things, depending on, you know, how things turn out. But not only that, but I've been bouncing some stuff on her. She's been feeding me gear that her and her crew use and giving me some feedback. And uh, I really thought that was nice. That comes in handy because last week, um, you know, for my Reprezai uh, episode, it took me a long time. And if you go to our website, uh, creative-writing.com, and look at the write-up that we did there, it's quite a pagey, lengthy deal. So when I was reading it on air, I thought, oh, that went great. It went pretty smooth. Not a whole lot of, of outtakes, you know, double takes and this and that. I just kind of ran through it. Took me a very long time to write, so I was so glad that it that it went all well, and um, you know, felt pretty good about it. 
listened to it, I thought, man, that sounded wooden. I kind of sounded like Pinocchio, just the little wooden boy up there rambling on. So I asked Liza for her opinion, and she was very honest. And she said the same. She said, you know what? You usually talk about the creative side of writing. That's why your show is called Creative Writing. And here you had 110 plus years of history, all these crazy things happening. And I was waiting for you to go down one of these off ramps into like the weird and wacky stuff that happened. And I said, gosh, I, I got so focused on the history. I mean, it was hard enough to cram 117 years of history into, you know, 30 minutes, you know, basically get it down to a 30 minute segment. But I really didn't have time to go do all that other stuff. So she said she felt a little bit of the same. She felt it was like sitting in history class and just having a report read to you. So, you know. Thank you for the feedback for everybody that gives us feedback, listeners, other podcasts. I mean, this all wouldn't be the very, it wouldn't be possible without your submissions, obviously, for Souls of Slam, but it really wouldn't be a quality show if we didn't get responses and feedback. That's why every time you guys send something, I read every single email that comes in and I read every single quote. Um, that you guys post up on our Facebook page. I want to see what you guys are interested in and if it's the same thing I'm interested in. Before I get down here to this uh, important email that I'll cover next, I really want, I guess right now I should pander for some uh, reviews in iTunes. If you if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, anywhere you get your uh, podcast, go ahead and get leave us a review if you could. That'd be very meaningful to me and help us make the show better. Now I'd like to turn my attention to someone who reached out to the show and give them a little feedback. Somebody named JR. We've already corresponded a little bit via email. And JR uh, was asking me about some stuff about podcasting um, and what the setup is and all that great stuff. I let him know what type of mics I use, um, you know, or her, him or her. I let them know what type of mics I used. Um, my little setup that I have here as far as like my studio and where I record. And uh, interestingly enough, JR, if you find yourself hearing this, uh, you know, I'm not 100% sure if you're a regular listener or if you just recently caught on, but that's one thing we didn't establish. But part of part of what I was getting at with Liza and with uh, Ted and, and even um, Rich over at R-Dub Studios, we all like to chat and, and talk sometimes and give each other feedback and it's really it's cool it's cool reaching out to people and it's cool uh having that so jr if you do get your podcast off the ground um just know that you have a resource um i really i miss the stock is for squares guys i kind of helped them get some of their audio stuff on track and and they helped me and um so yeah it's pretty cool it's a pretty cool little uh community to get into just like motorcycling pretty tight knit and it's kind of a niche thing and once you get into it you start just like motorcycling you start hearing like what's the best gear you know how do you do a little trick how do you do a podcast wheelie um so to speak and so yeah it's pretty cool so jr if you if you do end up listening to this like i said let me tell you what i've got going on because last time i talked to you i told you about my regular recording studio setup, and then I said sometimes I record. You know, guests that I've had on know that when I record in the evenings, everybody's in the house, so I go out to the garage, and not terrible sound out there. But also sometimes at night when everyone's asleep upstairs, which is where my studio is, 
I come downstairs and I told uh, JR, I just, I blab into the uh, living room here. There's a lot of dead space, which means, you know, no hard walls for sound to bounce off of and get like a lot of reverb and all that great stuff. A lot of echo. You don't want it to sound like you're recording in a bathroom, do you? And uh, I hear it in other podcasts. Sometimes I'll be listening to them and it's like, oh, listen, listen to that echo. They're just recording in like a big room. And it, and it kind of echoes a little bit. And it starts to bug you. Um, if you, you know, Liza recommended Wingman's Garage. I listen to them. But a lot of times they and the Cleveland Moto guys, they just like slap a recorder down in the middle of the room. And everyone's talking in the background or like sliding stuff across the table. And the mic is sitting on the table. You can hear that. So, JR, the setup I got tonight, I am down in a room and it doesn't matter what room I'm in because I got this cool little thing set up. My kids have one of those gym mats, like a little lakeshore gymnastic mat made of foam. Not very big. It's got uh, six panels to it. What I did today was I made a semicircle. I'm talking into the horseshoe right now. Here's the point I'm trying to make. I'm recording in a totally new way. So if you like the way this sounds, and we had talked about some sound deadening stuff, this listen to this. I, I kind of dig this. It's it's a it's a horseshoe. I know there's no hard surfaces. This mat is like sound deadening pad. So that's how I'm recording tonight, and I think I like it. It's kind of like hiding behind a wall, like a blast shield. If you've ever seen like a bomb squad go in and do something, I feel like I'm behind like a a blast shield right now or behind like a little mud foxhole or something. It's kind of cool. So if you have a recording area and you're in, uh, you know, I don't know if it would work if you're by your, you know, have more than one person. But right now I'm just like in this little foxhole here recording and it's uh, hopefully it's sounding as good as it is on your guys end as it's sounding here in the hole. So anyway, yeah. JR, if you want to reach out and do a podcast uh, or when you get yours off the ground, hit us up. And there's 18 other podcasts that would love to hear from you and love to listen to you and love to give you some tips and feedback and help you out. So that's that. That's my submission to the Solstice Slam. That and never take two crazy kids grocery shopping. All right, everybody, JR included. I am back in the studio. Uh, what I was trying to describe is a gym mat, approximately four feet by five feet, with a bunch of sections that are uh, like serrated or you know held together so I could prop it up. That's what I meant by behind the blast shield. That kind of didn't make sense without a visual. Anyway, it's time to get on to our next submission. Enough blabbing aside, let's get to another one of the guys from the WRI Top Ten list one gold finger your turn you're up to bat son hey guys this is jason gallmeyer from wir's top 10 bikes uh i guess i'm gonna do a contribution to the solstice slam i have no idea what i'm doing and i don't have larry here to give me guidance so this should be interesting um right now i'm on the road down to Millennium Technologies down in Plymouth, Wisconsin to pick up my cylinder head. Um, last fall when I was spraying nitrous, I melted a piston in, in the cylinder wall and uh, upon further investigation, it also melted part of my head between the exhaust valves. So I had to bring it down to Millennium and they have a head repair service there. And 
they just gave me a call today saying it's ready to pick up so I'm pretty excited to see it and it was the last part of my motor that I needed everything else is all together bottom end all that so so yeah I'm pretty excited um, I guess the topic I could talk about is maybe some of the things that have been happening on the list this winter uh, a lot of people are upgrading their stuff there's you know people were before the top 10 list was around people were confined to doing things a certain way because people told them that's the way they have to do it if you want to race with them hey you got to run a true hand clutch this and that blah 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 and if you didn't run bikes the way they ran bikes well you know you never hear the fucking end of it total shit talk you and this and that and you can't ride because you have to have a slider clutch and this and that but you know what with the top 10 list it's no rules we don't give a fuck bring what you brung bring what you brung that makes sense it sounded like a Larry take um race what you brung you know we don't care what it is and if it's fast and it's what you want to do cool bring it and ever since this top 10 thing took off and we started doing what we're doing, now other people are following suit. You know, guys that wanted to run a slider clutch or a lockup clutch, you know, they're doing it. They're buying, they're buying it, they're putting them in their bikes and screw what other people think. If it's what you want to do, do it. Um, so yeah, as far as upgrades, I'm sure some of the people on the list might get upset with me because I'm going to let a couple secrets out, but you know what, I don't think anybody from Chicago listens to this show too much, and we all pretty much know what what's going on, there aren't too many secrets, um, so let's start with number one, we got Guy Bellinger, as far as I know, all he is doing is putting a bigger turbo on, and he's hoping to get his horsepower up around 500, I think, it should be pretty insane. Um, I guess we'll see if the motor I built for him has what it takes to stand up to all that boost. Um, number two, we got Michelle. As far as I know, she isn't doing anything. She's just going to be her badass self like usual. Um, number three, we got Chris. He, he's got everybody confused what he's doing. And I'm just going to let... I'm not going to say too much. I'm just going to let the confusion continue. <laughs> uh, at number four was Ryan Skiba. He had to drop off because he's he bought a new bike. He's no longer racing his ZX-14. He's got a Gen 2 Hayabusa now with nitrous that he bought from someplace down south. I'm thinking Illinois or Indiana, somewhere down there. And rumors are it's a pretty badass bike. So see how he does this year but since he bought the new bike he has to start all over from the beginning down on the bottom of the list uh, let's see so that bumped me up to the number four spot so this year I got a new set of cylinders new set of pistons um, got my head fixed but then I also went and put a gen 2 Hayabusa crank in my gen 1 motor which is it gives you about two millimeters more stroke and it'll bump my motor up to a 1441. And I'm hoping it'll make over 230 horse just on motor. That's before the nitrous. Um, 
I also lightened the bike up a ton. I took the charging system off of it because we're drag racing. Who needs a charging system? Uh, I'm taking the radiator off of it, which will help lighten it up too. Um, I'm still going to run coolant in the motor, but no radiator. And I cut off every little bracket and knickknack and doodad off the frame and chassis that I don't need anymore to help lighten it up. I'm hoping the bike will weigh about 50 pounds less than it did last year. Um, I also put a lower ratio of first gear in it, which will help me get off the line harder. So I'm hoping to have the fastest 60 foot on the list. Will I have the fastest bike? Only time will tell, but I can guarantee you I will be coming off the line harder and faster than anybody else. Uh, let's see, number five. Number five, Jake Roberts. Uh, J Jake's been really, really, really quiet this winter. We don't know what he's doing. Uh, as far as we know, he's still racing his ZX14, but he did buy a ZX12. And nobody's quite sure what he's doing. I'm not even sure if he's sure what he's doing. So we'll see how that plays out. Let's see, number six. We got Dustin Durant. Um, yeah, as far as I know, Dustin isn't doing anything. Maybe some little things here and there. Nothing too major. Um, yeah, I really don't have any info on Dustin. I mean, he's kind of pulling the same thing Chris is. He's he's posting pictures of crazy parts, but for some reason, I don't think they're GS6R parts. I mean, I could be wrong, but we'll find out. <laughs> uh, okay, I gotta get my list out of my pocket. Dustin, Dylan. Dylan is still racing his stock wheelbase ZX10. He's in the seventh spot. He's also going to be try racing on the stock wheelbase list. So, I think he'll actually do pretty good at the stock wheelbase list. Right now, he's taking a knife to a gunfight. But on the stock wheelbase list, his bike's going to be pretty quick. Uh, number eight is Justin. Haven't heard much out of him either. So, I wish I could give you more news, but I can't. Number nine is Preston. I know he's building a new motor because he had a meltdown on the dyno last year. I couldn't tell you what it is because he's one of those guys that's pretty secretive too. And number 10, we got Busa John. As far as I know, Busa John's got a stock motor, Hayabusa, with an arm and an air shifter. Um, I've never seen him race. This is his first year on the list and it'll be pretty exciting to see what he does. And then we have three guys waiting or three guys waiting to get on the list. We got Chris Minich. Uh, he's got a G6R1000 that's stretched out. It kind of looks like Chris Singsheims. Uh, the second guy waiting to get on the list is Ryan because he had to drop off. And number 13, third, third guy waiting to get on the list is Chris Books. He actually won Cots Jr. last year. So he's pretty fast, he's pretty badass, so we'll see how how he does on our list. Um, and then, so this year we're starting our stock wheelbase list. Um, Aaron, Aaron Shoe's kind of filling the position that I fill, where he's the one that takes care of the list and the call-outs and this and that. Um, 
sounds like we got about seven or eight bikes on the list so far. And as soon as the word gets out, I'm sure it'll become even more popular than that. And I mean, they might even have more bikes wanting to get on their list than we do ours. So that'll be pretty exciting, and they should be fun to watch. You know, total wheelie machines, you know, guys pushing it, trying to be the fastest on the list. Um, other exciting news, uh, me and a friend, Mike Serrar, resurrected the Kotz Extreme class. It's a class at Kings of the Street where it's basically an open class. The only rule is no wheelie bar. You can run a slick, you can run a slider, you can run a lockup, you can run whatever you want, just as long as it doesn't have a wheelie bar. So we resurrected it. Um, we were told that, oh, we wouldn't have enough interest in it. There's no way we could have, we could get eight bikes for a full field, this and that. Well, we started putting the feelers out and we've got, 10 bikes locked in we need we have 8 for sure but if we get another another 8 we'll have a 16 bike class and it sounds like we're going to have a 16 bike field um, that's going to be pretty exciting I know I'm racing in it a couple of the other top 10 list bikes are racing in it and we'll be racing against the, the professional pro street bikes like Frankie Stotts and uh, some other guys in the area and they run crazy fast bikes. So that'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully we can do pretty well uh, representing Wisconsin. Um, so yeah, I can't think of anything else to talk to. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I hope to, I don't know what I hope. I'm driving trying to think of bullshit to say <laughs> so take it easy uh, follow us on our Facebook page WIR's Top 10 Bikes Larry plugs the hell out of us and it's great can't thank him enough so we'll catch, catch you guys later was he talking about me? My name is not Larry. He might have been listening to the... Uh, my name is quite unpronounceable to the uh, English tongue. He, he might have been talking about the first uh, first host of the show. See, I came onto the show trying to learn producing. Trying to learn a little bit of audio work. And t- let me tell you, this is like the bottom of the barrel when it comes to audio work, right? Uh, you have to have almost no skill. And no talent, as I make very apparent every week. But when I came on here, the guy that I learned from, his name was Ryan. And every night, Ryan was like, nice job, you guy. Most likely fire you in the morning. Okay, next week's show. Okay, well, great. Did I do it good? Yeah, yeah, nice job. Most likely fire you in the morning. See you next week. Yeah, I'd come back after, after a while of this. He finally told me that he wasn't the original producer either. The guy before him's name was Cumberbun, and he wasn't even the original producer. The original producer had been, like, done after episode three and had been living in Patagonia, retiring off all the riches that this show generates, which really means that he gave up on the show because this is not a moneymaker. But at any rate, yeah, so um, I don't know who the first uh, 
producer was. But anyways, yeah, Larry is a total shit name. Sorry to anybody named Larry, but um, crappy. And uh, my name does have L's in it, but uh, it don't sound like L's. Anyway, all right. I do. You know what, though? Somebody uh, was prying the other day. Hmm. I have I've I've posted a one picture up of my myself uh one time for like a couple hours but that's not how the show works you know what I mean cuz when it's my time to go and I hand it over to somebody yeah I don't want it to be associated so there's a bunch of fake pictures of fake hosts on the show for sure but uh somebody was asking me and I don't know I'm going to say this I look like one of the Skarsgård brothers, ladies, if you're uh, wondering. But uh, not any of the good-looking ones. <laughs> so there's always that. I'm like the ugliest Skarsgård family member. and uh, Like the dog. I'm dog's butt ugly. That's why I do a podcast, not a video cast. Okay. Anyways, it's time to get on to the next submission. And you know what? Thank you, Jason. For breaking down the uh, the list like that. The WIR top 10 list, he's right. We're always pumping that list. We're always talking about the things that these people are doing. Because they're all, you know, racers by, uh, by passion. None of them are racers by trade. And so they're all these super creative people that are making stuff. I mean, there's, there are a couple guys that like ended up making swing arms. You know what I mean? But it came probably, I'm guessing... The, their passion for bikes and racing came first when they were, you know, regular Joe Schmo working at the, you know, whatever job they had. And then their passion developed into that. I'm not guessing that they're like, you know what, I'm going to build some swing arms for these fast bikes. And then I'm going to go try and race these fast bikes and see what I can do. I think, you know, it usually doesn't doesn't go that way. So not only did he, uh, you know, they're a great group to follow and they're into all sorts of great stuff, especially Michelle Mankiewicz, who he mentioned, who's probably going to take the top spot right off the trailer this year, but also number three, Nitrous Chris. Those guys are always going around doing the most interesting stuff, and that whole group of friends that rides together, well, you'll hear about it later, but they are a tight-knit community whose, I don't know, 200-mile rides is just like eh, a whim. You know what I mean? They do a 1,000 miles uh, over the course of a weekend just for nothing. And uh, some people don't even ride that much in a year. So at any rate, let's move on. Thank you, Jason, for giving away all the secrets of the WIR top 10 list. And uh, after anybody hears this, if you end up in, in the lake, the bottom of Lake Wisconsin, if there is such a lake, I think we know why. You talk too much, son. You talk too much. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to the next submission this one comes to us from a listener named Eric, and uh, this listener submitted a an on my request. Actually, this guy was uh, talking to me, you know, messaging the show uh, on via our Facebook page, which you can always get a hold of us there and engage us that way. And I and he was posting up all this crazy stuff, and I said, "Man, you should really." Like write this down or put it into a doc or something. Like this is some crazy good ideas. So, uh, on the premise of what if you were given like a bagajillion dollars, which I forget how many zeros is in a bagajillion, but you know if you have that and a little bit of like a Japanese wizardry, what type of motorcycle would you make? 
So he was courteous enough to sit down and write me a very lengthy uh, page here called My Motorcycle Company. And I'm about to read you. Well, let me see. Come in here, guest. We got a special guest here to read that. Hello. Hello, and thank you very much for having me here. It's me, friend. Oh, Chris McScratchington. Walking. In my bag. Extension cords. In order to read the Solstice Slam, you gotta think like a Solstice Slam. And I'm here to do that for you today. Tonight, as a matter of fact. Sorry, my voice may be a little crackly and ragged as an old, old tree, but I'm getting a little old, my friend. I'm a little old in the tooth. But I'm here to tell you I'm ready to read your story. Starts off like this. This guy seems like a very nice guy. Uh, he's always writing in some nice okay, stuff. good. I'm glad to read the story from then. Be good. If I was given a billion dollars for the express purpose of starting my own motorcycle manufacturing company, well, cruises aren't my thing. They wouldn't sell well in this cruiser-bloated USA market. And ADV bikes... They're definitely a consideration. Racing and track bikes are somewhat of a losing proposition in the smaller displacements. I I reckon a a sport touring bike carries my interest more than most genres in the market. I personally have an appeal towards sport bikes that don't follow the track, but don't fall too heavily on the touring side either. Examples, the VFR 800, the Ninja 1000, the Ducati Super Sport... The GSX S1000F. Some offer more touring ability, some less. Hey, I like the cut of this guy's jib, by the way. It's a good, some good bikes, you know. Yeah, so far so good. Hey, buddy, your voice—you sound like you're fading, man. Yes, walking out. I'll be walking around town. We'll see you later, my friend. I'm like, I got a dance competition. I got a B2. All right. Loves peace. Okay, peace out, man. I love you too. See you later, Chris. Well, hey, we got him to read for a little bit, didn't we? I'll go ahead and pick it up where he left off. In my mind, I spy a modular platform built in several size scales. The auto industry has been doing this successfully for a period of time. Example, VW's MQB platform used in the new Golf and scaled up for the coming Atlas crossover. Anyway, it's a cost-effective way of building motorcycles. Same tried-and-true chassis design with much less extensive variations between engine sizes, configuration, suspension, and fairing differences. There's no need to reinvent the wheel with every model. As far as I know, no one is making a high-performance version of the common parallel twin engine. Specifically, a 270-degree crankshaft configured parallel twin. Ducati has run L-twin engines forever, as well as other brands like Honda, Suzuki, Aprilia, etc. using this configuration. Other brands utilizing a V-twin design with much the same features. It's twice the engine heads, twice the valve trains, a more complicated block, more complicated exhaust plumbing, coolant system, throttle linkage, and packaging. The parallel twin, by comparison, is just a far more simple and symmetrical design easy to package. I just don't know of a company that's emphasized this design as a basis of a factory-tuned high performance in a 270-degree configuration. 
I also have a personal appeal for inline triples. Don't we all, brother? Since 600cc sport bikes are starting to phase out, I thought I'd do something the market has neglected since the early 2000s, namely a 500cc category bike for starters. Model names would not be the common alphabet soup that motorcycle and auto manufacturers are currently so fond of. I'd pick animal names from large cats, bird names, fish names, etc. to evoke emotion and solidify identity. Only numbers that would be used in naming conventions would be engine sizes, followed by one of two letters to identify the frame size, more on this shortly. There'd be a 550cc twin, an 850cc twin, and an 1150cc twin. All 270 degree crank parallel twins with over square bore to stroke ratios for high revs, high compression ratios, modern spring actuated valve trains, forged connecting rods and pistons, and a crank for longevity and durability. Optimized throttle bodies and exhaust systems for efficient flow dynamics. Variable valve timing on intake cams to broaden the torque curves. Seating ergonomics would be the likes of a modern super naked with slightly forward cant, in command riding position with pegs below and slightly rearward. The seats would actually be comfortable and slightly supportive from the factory for once. And the fairings would be frame mounted and offer quarter fairing coverage with smooth curves and smooth turbulence free wind flow. Face designs evoking elegance blended with a sophisticated, fierce look. Engine exhaust and belly would be naked style for easy access and maintenance. The headlights would be projector housing LED quad beam. All turn signals would be integrated in front and rear plastics and they'd be LED type. The mirrors would actually be functional, fairing mounted and telescopically adjustable for reach. Are you touring? Extend them. Sport riding and lane splitting, slide them in. Instrumentation would be full TFT color display. All the modern electronic controls, say a modern Yamaha R1M, would be installed on all models except for the 550cc, which for cost reasons would be much more basic, such as Bosch ABS, simple and effective traction control, easy for me to say. On all bikes, such features such as cruise control are a must. All electronic settings will be easily adjustable on the fly. No stopping on the road and complicated button sequences necessary. ABS would be defeatable on the rear wheel. Illuminated switch gear at the bars. Optional hand guards available, effective and attractive heated grips, of course. And since the market doesn't offer separate frame sizes on the same motorcycle model to accommodate smaller and larger riders, each machine would include two optional frame sizes, minimal weight differences between them. I haven't figured out how to sell such an arrangement yet in the current dealership allotment sales paradigm. Big guys could ride small engines, small guys could ride big engines. No more constraints on frame sizes with the small displacement bikes. For a bigger person, a small engine bike would not appear to look like a gorilla riding a tricycle. In spite the, of the general hatred of parallel twin engines on the market, these engines would not disappoint in vibration-free, exciting power with deep-tuned sound. As KTM and Ducati have proven, twin-cylinder engines can make a ton of power and remain very flexible. Why not save a lot of coin and build up a twin-cylinder engine configuration that's less expensive to manufacture and maintain? In my new motorcycle lineup, all published horsepower and torque numbers would be at the rear wheel. I don't believe crank numbers mean a hill of beans to the general public, nor dry weights for that matter. Build emphasis would be for rigid steel trellis frames, less, which less weight and comfortable but sporty ergonomics. 
scratch at the track one day and tour comfortably the next. Handlebars instead of clip-ons provide more places to mount Farkles and make for easy aftermarket changing. And speaking of Farkles, having 12-volt power ports in the dash for plugging in accessories would be a priority, along with a good-sized electric stator to power extra items. That's pretty good insight there. Power for heated grips, GPS, cell phone, etc. would be easily within the capability of the stator. Extra forward lighting would be integrated into the fairings, either on the side of the bike or near the radiator. Want a daylight experience after dark? Flick a switch for LED beams to complement the headlights. Before I die here, I better get this out. Turning a curve in the dark? Well, the lean angle sensors have you covered, and LED flood illumination taking care of the dark curves ahead. All factory integrated lights without the need to bolt on ugly parts. Press and hold a button, and the TFT display temporarily switches to a high-resolution rear view from a tail-integrated camera. That would be cool. Suspension systems would be the top shelf quality as I'm rather fed up with the mediocre stuff supplied on many sport models on the market currently. The Olin's forks and larger diameter tubes, fully adjustable, would be a must. Olin's rear shock with three-way adjustable remote hydraulic spring-loaded with easy access knob for the days when you load up the bike for touring. Twin opposed piston rear brake with the actual power and feel at the pedal. An M50 Brembo radial mount, four piston calipers at the front, radial pump master cylinder at the lever, a double-sided rear swing arm design for less weight than the single-sided ones, and stainless steel braided brake lines, of course. Uh, A quick aside here, I think we've seen from some of the BMW uh, photos how well or not well single-sided string arms work if you're going to really go touring. Transmissions would include a factory quick shifter with up-down function, six-speed wide ratio optimized for low-speed crawling in first gear, and a good lower RPM cruising in sixth gear. I think Suzuki smoothness and precision. 550cc would produce a solid 70 wheel horsepower, the 850 would be about 120, and the 1150 would produce at least 160 horsepower. For once, fuel capacity would allow decent range and follow engine size. 550 would have a 4 gallon, the 850 would have a 5 gallon, and the 1150 would have a 6 gallon tank. Worried about weight? Don't fill the tank up to the top, silly. And for the flagship model, which has not yet been mentioned, but including all the whiz-bang features above and common styling, would enter a ridiculously powerful 1450cc high-revving triple. This engine would crank out at least 220 wheel horsepower. Riding modes for better usefulness would also be included. A 6.5-gallon tank mounted to this model... Although I could go on and on and on with my ideal lineup of motorcycles with details and specs and design cues, suffice to say nothing on the market right now feels this niche of sporty touring premium bikes. No, they wouldn't be low dollar for their displacement, but neither would the ride experience. A customer shouldn't have to give up premium when choosing a small displacement engine. I'd employ the best brains from Germany, Japan, and Italy to build fully reliable, character-rich quality, great-looking range of motorcycles in this new company. Streamline the manufacturing process and provide long-term solutions for global motorcycle markets. Hey, 
I'd even include a 300cc model to bring in budget-minded people into the brand. Utilizing the modular platform, a line of 80V bikes with larger front wheels and a different state of engine tune would come out later. And the manufacturing facility would include on-ground test track for motorcycle development. A person can dream, can't they? Head on down to your local motorcycle dealer and buy one today. All right, Eric, thank you so much for the uh, contribution there to El Sostiso Slamo. That's great. Good write-up. It would probably take more than a billion dollars, I think, is what you put here. That sounds more like a trillion dollar thing, at least, when you think of that they already spend uh, millions to develop um, almost a billion I think to develop uh, MotoGP bikes. Not 100% sure about that. Let me fact check real quick. Well, a quick internet search says that bikes two years ago that raced in MotoGP cost 2 million bucks. And that was just the cost of the actual physical materials, not the cost of the research and development, which uh, usually a lot of time the labor is more than the parts. I don't know the last time you've been to a uh, shop, but yeah, usually the R&D costs a heck of a lot more than the actual physical thing because that's where you're spending the hours finding out all of your beautifully tuned and uh, you know turned aerodynamics and all that stuff and materials and building up all that great stuff. I do have uh, something for you as far as the Parallel Twin uh, because I happen to love flat track racing and I happen to love certain brands of motorcycles. There are quite a few uh, parallel twins. I'm not certain about the 270-degree tr- crank, though. Uh, looking on Triumph's site, yeah, for sure they do. They use a lot of, I mean, Triumph, the whole uh, like Bonneville or Modern Classic line is all parallel twins all the way from, well, they used to have 500 all the way up you know, now to their 1200s, but they got a lot of 865 and 900 um, CC. You know, they used to have a 750. I don't know if they have the 750 anymore, but yeah, no, Triumph's got uh, air air and oil cooled and, and newly water cooled uh, twins that go all the way up to 1200s, parallel twins. And most of them, from what I know, use a 270 degree crank. There is the the Ninja Z, the new Z650 is a parallel twin. I think it probably uses the same motor as the Ninja 650, which is the same motor as the Vulcan S. Those are all parallel twin. I'm not sure about the crank uh, rotation. It seems, I mean, you can only have so much. It seems like when you do a parallel twin, you can only go to 70-ish, right? Um, and then uh, BMW has the F800R parallel twin, um, or well, the F800 uh, parallel twin. Who else has got a parallel twin? Dude, this is gonna kill me. Um, but yeah, no, they're they're out there. I don't don't think Suzuki has a parallel twin that I can think of right off the top of my head. But yeah, I know they're out there because in flat track for the twins class, obviously you have to have twins. So um, yeah, I know a lot of people still racing. Ducati twins, you know, and Harley and Indian V twins, but the rest of the crew and the rest of the teams are using parallels for the most part and uh, winning championships on them. So that's pretty awesome. But thank you, Eric. That was a detailed, detailed look at the uh, the motorcycle industry, what it could be. Um, I wanted to mention too, I, I only know this from working in the industry, 
But certain companies are bringing on board what he was talking about, those cornering lights. I think the FJR uh, or the FJ1300ES or whatever it is, Yamaha's like sport touring bike, that thing does have cornering lights where it's got these turn signals that are integrated in the fairings, and a lot of bikes do. But when you turn a corner, yeah, they light up the ground out in front of you where you're turning, not just your headlight pointing relatively straight you know not pointing through the curve so there already are some bikes that have used the bank angle sensors to trigger like cornering lights and stuff like that for you and all that other stuff that he was talking about that uh, is coming online for motorcycles honda actually entered announced that they're going to have automatic braking bikes um, cruise control is coming pretty ubiquitous um, on the higher you know package they're trying to sell it as packages still before all this stuff finally actually becomes mandated or like expected you know like abs is going is pretty expected unless you have a bone stock bottom of the barrel offering like the rebel 500 and 300, which I may even come with ABS. I have yet to check into those any further. But yeah, thank you, Eric, for the wonderful, wonderful submission. And it's funny to see. Let's see how many of these things come true. All right, let's get into another submission for the slam. And this comes straight from the man himself, the man down under, the man from the future, if you're in America, Dan Michaels. Let's hear a good crash story, Dan. It's like talking crash stories. I have one that sticks in my head because it was one of those stupid ass moments which should never have happened. But every year on Australia (laughs) Day, which is the 26th of January here in Australia, me and about 10 other mates take off and head for the Snowy Mountains, which is, you know, it's a legendary piece of road with amazing twisties and mountains and blacktops and you name it but for some reason that particular time and that particular year when we went up there it decided to piss down with rain and it was wet and it was cold i was wearing a mesh jacket so i was hypothermic i think i just completely lost all functionality and capability to ride and as we came up to the, an intersection after about four hours of riding in this shit weather I turned to the right to look at the oncoming traffic and just washed out the front and went sliding down the road on this brand new hypermotard Evo SP. I just scratched the living shit out of it and couldn't believe myself. It was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you just got up, uh, kind of going, was this a dream? Was this a bad, bad dream? <laughs> so, exactly. Oh man. The, the funniest thing was I had one of those Contour Rome cameras on my head. And um, I went down, and as I went down, I went on that side first. So the camera came off of the uh, helmet and then just sort of flopped around wildly and made for the best piece of footage I think I've ever ever made. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, great. All right. Well, that's that's a crash story straight from the mouth of Dan Michael. That's a good one. That's one of the better ones. (laughs) But not so good, Dan. Don't start laughing just yet, my Australian friend. Aaron Shue still has a third story here that we need to get out in the books. So let's get to Aaron's last story. See how his final tale shape up her solstice slam. Oh yeah, this is Cookie LaRoche, man, coming to you with story number three from Aaron Shue. It was the summer of 2016. I went on a day trip with a bunch of friends 
Mr. Nitrous Chris was one of them on this trip. We had six of us total, all with our own bikes, and we are probably 200 miles in on this 400 plus mile trip. Our leader Chad had his GPS mounted on his Ducati Hyper Motard, and he was finding us the best and most fun curvy roads. We were out in the country somewhere in central Wisconsin. We found a really nice curvy hilly road surrounded by fields and random woods. We started seeing tractors on the roads, then ATVs, and everyone we passed looked at us like we were aliens. We got to a really fun, really curvy and hilly area, and we were moving at a good pace, but nothing extreme. We came up on a hill with a slight left at the top. There were four of us riding relatively close together. Two guys were on Ducati Hyper Motards. I was on my Ducati Street Fighter, and Mr. Sing Sign was on his KTM Duke. We crested the hill, and directly on the opposite side of this hill, the blacktop ended. And it became a gravel road. So here we are, all four of us riding down this hill, tire to tire, trying not to hit each other or wipe out on the loose gravel road. And luckily, our leader, Chad, had his intercom on and could radio back to his wife, Cammy, and warn her and our friend, Nikki, who were riding slower a bit behind us, of the sudden change in grip. Now, Cammy has a Ducati 848 and Nikki on her brand new Yamaha FC09. And this road continued as a gravel road for a couple of miles before it changed back into blacktop. When we hit the blacktop again, we stopped instantly, instantly to check to see if anyone needed to change their shorts after that close call. Somehow, everyone made it through without wiping out or even giving anyone else a love tap. We still talk about that trip often. Cookie LaRoche, out. All right, Cookie, thank you for taking us home. That was it, folks. That was the Solstice Slam number two. Hope you've enjoyed all the stories, all the contributions. You made it happen. If you didn't like it, it's your own fault for not sending something classy and cool in. A couple of things I wanted to mention on the Creative Writing page on Facebook. If you go there, you can see some events that we have posted up. Uh, don't be afraid to take a peek, take a gander. We got some great stuff, including, but not limited to, the following. March 24th, the Solstice Slam. That's right. This episode is being created and produced right this second. It'll be published for your listening pleasure. You'll hear it first thing when you wake up Saturday. Snuggy, snuggy, baby. The 25th Atlanta Short Track presented by Indian Motorcycle. That'll be happening. Uh, well, you can. it'll be at the Dixie Speedway in Woodstock, Georgia, but... If you go to fanschoice.tv, you should be able to see all the live uh, scoring and timing and all that stuff. And from what I heard last time as well, American Flat Track was um, doing like a live stream from their uh, site as well. So if you don't get it on fanschoice.tv, go to American Flat Track. They should be able to point you in the right direction. And of course, as we mentioned before in the news, in the middle of the summer, NBC Sports 2, I believe, was going to start playing first half of the season every Thursday night and then finally uh, you're going to get your 
they're going to catch up to the series halfway through. So there's no delay. On uh, the 26th, motorcycle ride to the Poppy Fields and lunch. That is going to be in Gorman, California. Um, go ahead and check it out. It's literally called Motorcycle Ride to the Poppy Fields and Lunch at the Rock Inn on Facebook. Um, also, March 26th, MotoGP viewing of the Grand Prix of Qatar, or Qatar, however you pr- prefer to pronounce it, that's happening at Dafo Winery in Temecula. April 1st, Harley Davidson Charlotte Motor Speedway half mile going on. And April 8th, the AMA Supermoto National Championship Series season opener. It's going to be at Kern County Raceway Park. I saw them there. Uh, I did. When did I go there? I went there for Bike Fest uh, a couple years ago. Uh, maybe 2015, 2016, something like that. And yeah, check, check that out. And it was truly amazing to behold Supermoto in the flesh. So if you can make it out there, I implore you to go do so is that a word implore i don't think i think i just made that up april 9th another event here in socal it's going to be the cretan racing benefit party if you're unfamiliar with the cretans you may know that i went out to corsa moto classica last year and uh, got a little bit of sound bite biting from out there but a lot of video and really cool fun racing action and the cretans are a club a race club up here in la i think they have some in uh, seattle as well and uh, they're all over out there my friends that were racing are actually friends with them and they have a pretty cool clubhouse where they're always doing some fun stuff and it's getting to be that time of year so they're having a benefit party april 9th i reached out to um mr carmody carmody and uh, here's the skinny sent me this uh, flyer. There's $5 donation. It's a moto party so to support your local Cretans racer. It's going to be at 1017 North Lake Burbank, uh, California 91502. There's going to be a bike show with some awards. There's going to be games. They have a tiki bar. They have MotoGP on the big screen, cheap beer, food. Uh, they're going to have a silkscreen booth. So bring your own shirts. I think it said light colored shirts in their uh, on their event page because they're going to have uh, some one-off uh, t-shirt designs. Go there and they'll screen your shirt for you. So just take your skirt shirt or your skirt. They will screen it for you. They're going to have bike show uh, categories of race, cafe racer, British bike, brat style, restoration, women-owned, chopper cruiser, small CC. And if I'm not... I swear I saw born free parties on here somewhere too but i i could be i could be wrong about that but it says it's sponsored by russ brown moto lady rpm attack um glory which is an old motorcycle shop here in uh in la stellar leathers and i want to say charlie's place so anyway that is the cretans race party you got to check that out april 28th tracker cross better verify that date son that's being put on by Rusty Butcher Co. Well, Rusty Butchers. And uh, yeah, that looks like a lot of fun. That's going to be out at uh, M- Milestone Motocross Park in Riverside. And um, there's a lot of stuff happening with that one. You, I think you should check out the page and see what classes they have if you're in the area. And uh, that looks like a lot of fun. So that's going to be April 28th. I've had a wonderful time, Slammers. Thank you for all 
all of your support and all of uh, your submissions and everything. We didn't have to play crappy kazoo music like we did for the first Solstice Slam. If you remember, I threatened to play like a kazoo solo for the remainder of the time that we didn't have submissions. And I'd like to say this time we made it a whole hour and a half without having to do that. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Aaron Shu. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, JR, and all the other podcasts that I mentioned. Please go check out one of the events that I mentioned or one around your town. And uh, that's it. Check us out on creative-writing.com for all your website needs. We'll have some of the Salsa Slam stuff up there. Check us out on Tumblr, Facebook, uh, the tweets at creative underscore writer. We're also on Instagram now at creative writing podcast, all one word. Please leave a message uh, at creative writing podcast at gmail.com. The slam at creative writing.com is coming down. That was just an email we had for the social slam. But if creative writing podcast at gmail.com is too much for you to remember, go to our Facebook page and hit the email us button there. And you can always tweet us and do all that other crazy fun stuff that people do to get in touch with each other rather than just walk up to each other and say hi and shake hands. That's been it, folks. Solstice Slam. Please leave us a review in iTunes. Check us out. We'll be having some more cool shows coming up. If you have any great show ideas, hit us up at the email. Send them in to us. You're very likely that it'll become a topic on the show. All right, that's it. Peace. I'm going to leave you with a little ditty from... Scarbox guitar that you could win if your slam is picked. excited than you are v-rod and i think there's some pictures right here of his kawasaki he did say it was a kawasaki right kawasaki r6 that's not right i'm not gonna edit this out because this is salsa slam this is you know and uh you hear that you could hear my mic, me slap my mic there. It was acting up. It was acting like a cuts to the bone, man. This is like the the real deal with uh, our listeners. Okay, so I, I will edit this out. Same tried and true chassis design with much less expensive. Dang it. Uh, the transmissions would include a factory quick, shipper, quick, shifter, quick shifter with up and down function. Six speeds, wide ratio. Like a bloodhound. It was acting like a bloodhound. All right, everybody. I've had a wonderful year. Uh, 